It's been said that beyond the edge of the universe, between life and death, there is a library. And within that library, the shelves extend forever. With an infinite number of books. Every book on every shelf provides the reader with a chance to try out another life they could have lived. Maybe see how things would have turned out if you had made other choices. Would you have done anything different if you had the opportunity to undo your heaviest regrets? Matt Haig's novel, The Midnight Library, follows Nora Seed as she travels this infinite space, searching for what is truly fulfilling in life and what makes life worth living in the first place. Matt Haig is an author for both children and adults. His memoir, Reasons to Stay Alive, was a number one bestseller, staying in the British top 10 for 46 weeks. His children's book, A Boy Called Christmas, was a runaway hit and is translated in over 40 languages. His novels for adults include the award-winning How to Stop Time, The Radleys, The Humans, and the number one bestseller, The Midnight Library, which we will be traveling to in just a moment. He will be accompanied by an original score crafted by Robert Winia, as well as an original Storybound remix. Hi, I'm Matt Haig, and this is Storybound. I will be reading from my novel, The Midnight Library, a story about a woman called Nora who finds herself in an infinite library between life and death, where every book on the shelf is a different version of her own life if she had lived it a different way. And this particular section is one of those lives, one of those books off a shelf that she steps into where she finds herself a, as a glaciologist in the Arctic Circle. Welcome to Storybound, presented by Lit Hub Radio and the Podglomerate. I'm your host, Jude Brewer. In just a little bit, you're going to get to hear Matt Haig tell a story in his own words, following the character of Nora Seed, as she has just begun another chapter in another book within the Midnight Library. In this new reality, she finds herself in the Arctic, working as a spotter with the International Polar Research Institute. Svalbard. She woke in a small bed in a little cabin on a boat. She knew it was a boat because it was rocking. And indeed the rocking, gentle as it was, had woken her up. The cabin was spare and basic. She was wearing a thick fleece sweater and long johns. Pulling back the blanket, she noticed that she had a headache. Her mouth was so dry, her cheeks felt sucked in against her teeth. She coughed a deep, chesty cough and felt a million pool lengths away from the body of an Olympian. 
Her fingers smelt of tobacco. She sat up to see a pale blonde, robust, hard-weathered woman sitting on another bed, staring at her. Good morning, Nora. She smiled and hoped that in this life she wasn't fluent in whichever Scandinavian language this woman spoke. Good morning. She noticed a half-empty bottle of vodka and a mug on the floor beside the woman's bed. A dog calendar, April, spring of Spaniel, was propped up on that chest between the beds. The three books on top of it were all in English. The one nearest to the woman said, Principles of Glacier Mechanics. Two on Nora's, a naturalist guide to the Arctic and a penguin classic edition of the saga of the Volsungs, the Norse epic of Sigurd the Dragonslayer. She noticed something else. It was cold, properly cold. The cold that almost burns, that hurts your fingers and toes and stiffens your cheeks, even inside. With layers of thermal underwear, with the sweater on, with the bars of two electric heaters glowing orange. Every exhale made a cloud. Why are you here, Nora? The woman asked in heavily accented English. A tricky question when you didn't know where here was. Bit early in the morning, isn't it, for philosophy? <laughs> Nora laughed nervously. She saw a wall of ice outside the porthole rising out of the sea. She was either very far north or very far south. She was very far somewhere. The woman was still staring at her. Nora had no idea if they were friends or not. The woman seemed tough, direct, earthy, but probably an interesting form of company. I don't mean philosophy. I don't even mean what got you into glaciological research, although it might be the same thing. I mean, why did you choose to go as far away from civilization as possible? You never told me. I don't know, she said. I, I like the cold. No one likes this cold, unless they are a sadomasochist. She had a point. Nora reached for the sweater at the end of her bed and put it on over the sweater she was already wearing. As she did, she saw, beside the vodka bottle, a laminated lanyard lying on the floor. Ingrid Skierbeck, Professor of Geoscience, International Polar Research Institute. I don't know, Ingrid. I just like glaciers, I suppose. I want to understand them, why they are melting. She wasn't sounding like a glacier expert, judging from Ingrid's raised eyebrows. What about you? She asked, hopefully. <sighs> Ingrid sighed, rubbed her palm with a thumb. After Pear died, I couldn't stand to be in Oslo anymore. All those people that weren't him, you know. There was this coffee shop we used to go to at the university. We'd just sit together. Together, but silent. Happy silent. Reading newspapers, drinking coffee. It was hard to avoid places like that. We used to walk around everywhere. His troublesome soul lingered on every street. I kept telling his memory to piss the fuck off, but it wouldn't. Grief 
is a bastard. If I'd have stayed any longer, I'd have hated humanity. So when a research position came up in Svalbard, I was like, yes, this has come to save me. I wanted to be somewhere he had never been. I wanted somewhere where I didn't have to feel his ghost. But the truth is, it only half works, you know? Places are places and memories are memories and life is fucking life. Nora took all this in. Ingrid was clearly telling this to someone she thought she knew reasonably well, and yet Nora was a stranger. It felt odd, wrong. This must be the hardest bit about being a spy, she thought. The emotion people store in you like a bad investment. You feel like you are robbing people of something. Ingrid smiled, breaking the thought. Anyway, thanks for last night. That was a good chat. There are a lot of dickheads on this boat, and you are not a dickhead. Oh, thanks. Uh, neither are you. And it was then that Nora noticed the gun. A large rifle with a hefty brown handle, leaning against the wall at the far end of the room under the coat hooks. This sight made her happy somehow. Made her feel like her 11-year-old self would have been proud. She was, it seemed, having an adventure. The music you're hearing in this episode was sampled from an original score by Robert Winia. And now for a quick commercial break. You are listening to Storybound with Matt Haig and Robert Winia. And now we return from our break. later, and Nora was on an expanse of snow-covered rock, more of a scurry than an island, a place so small and uninhabitable it had no name. Though a larger island, ominously titled Bear Island, was visible across the ice-cold water. She stood next to a boat, not the Lance, the large boat she'd had breakfast on, and that was moored safely out at sea, but the small motor dinghy that had been dragged up out of the water almost single-handedly by a big boulder of a man called Roon, who, despite his Scandinavian name, spoke in languid West Coast American. At her feet was a fluorescent yellow rucksack, and lying on the ground was the Winchester rifle that had been leaning against the wall in the cabin. This was her gun. In this life, she owned a firearm. In her hands was another, less deadly, a signal pistol, ready to fire a flare. She had discovered what kind of spotting she was doing. While nine of the scientists conducted a climate-tracking fieldwork on this tiny island, she was the lookout for polar bears. Apparently this was a very real prospect. And if she saw one, the very first thing she had to do was fire a flare. This would serve the dual purpose of A, frightening the bear away, and B, warning the others. It was not foolproof. 
Humans were tasty protein sources, and the bears were not known for their fear, especially in recent years, as the loss of habitat and food sources had made them ever more vulnerable and forced them to be more reckless. Soon as you fired the flare, said the eldest of the group, a beardless, sharp-featured man called Peter, who was the field leader, and who spoke in a state of permanent fortissimo, bang the pan with the ladle, bang it like mad and scream. They have sensitive hearing, they're like cats. Nine times out of 10, the noise scares them off. And the other time out of 10, he nodded down at the rifle. You kill it before it kills you. Nora wasn't the only one with a gun. They all had guns. They were armed scientists. I truly hope, said Ingrid, laughing raspily, <laughs> you don't get eaten. I'd miss you. So long as you aren't menstruating, you should be okay. Jesus, what? They can smell the blood from a mile away. Another person, someone who was so thoroughly wrapped up it was impossible to tell who they were, even if she had known them, wished her good luck in a muffled, faraway voice. We'll be back in five hours, Peter told her. He laughed again, and Nora hoped that meant it was a joke. Walk in circles to keep warm. And then they left her, walking off over the rocky ground and disappearing into the fog. For an hour, nothing happened. Nora walked in circles. She hopped from left foot to right foot. The fog thinned a little, and she stared out at the landscape. She wondered why she was not back in the library. After all, this was definitely a bit shit. There were surely lives where she was sitting beside a swimming pool in the sunshine right now. Lives where she was playing music or lying in a warm, lavender-scented bath or having incredible third-date sex or reading on a beach in Mexico or eating in a Michelin-starred restaurant or strolling the streets of Paris, or getting lost in Rome, or tranquilly gazing at a temple near Kyoto, or feeling the warm cocoon of a happy relationship. In most lives, she would have at least been physically comfortable. And yet, she was feeling something new here, or something old that she had long buried. The glacial landscape reminded her that she was, first and foremost, a human living on a planet. Almost everything she had done in her life, she realized, almost everything she had bought and worked for and consumed had taken her further away from understanding that she and all humans were really just one of nine million species. If one advances confidently, Thoreau had written in Walden, in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with the success unexpected in common hours. In common hours. Hours. Unexpected success in the direction of his dreams. If one advances confidently, He'd also observed that part of this success was the product of being alone. I never found a companion that was so companionable as solitude. And Nora felt similarly in that moment. Although she had only been left alone for an hour at this point, she had never experienced this level of solitude before. 
She'd thought in her nocturnal and suicidal hours that solitude was the problem. But that was because it hadn't been true solitude. True solitude. The lonely mind, the lonely mind in the busy city, in the busy city yearns for connection because it thinks human to human connection is the point of everything. But amid pure nature, or the tonic of wildness, as Thoreau called it, solitude took on a different character. It became in itself kind a kind of connection, connection. A, connection a connection between herself, between herself and, the world, and the world, and between her, between her and, herself. and herself. She remembered a conversation she'd had with Ash. Tall and slightly awkward and cute and forever in need of a new songbook for his guitar. She smiled at the memory, then was brought back to the reality of the Arctic landscape by the sound of a loud splash. A few meters away from her, between the rocky scurry she was standing on and Bear Island, there was another little rock, or collection of rocks, sticking out of the water. Something was emerging from the sea froth, something heavy, slapping against the stone with a great wet weight. Her whole body shaking. She got ready to fire the flare, but it wasn't a polar bear. It was a walrus. The fat, brown, wrinkled beast shuffled over the ice, then stopped to stare at her. She, or he, looked old even for a walrus. The walrus knew no shame and could hold a stare for an indefinite amount of time. She only knew two things about walruses that they could be vicious, and that they were never alone for very long. The walrus stayed where it was, like a ghost of itself in the grainy light, but slowly disappeared behind the veil of fog. Minutes went by. Nora had seven layers of clothing on, but her eyelids felt like they were stiffening and could freeze shut if she closed them for too long. She heard the voices of the others occasionally drift over to her. And, for a while, her colleagues returned close enough for her to see some of them. Silhouettes in the fog, hunched over the ground, reading eye samples with equipment she wouldn't have understood. But then they disappeared again. She ate one of the protein bars in her rucksack. It was cold and hard as toffee. She checked her phone, but there was no signal. It was very quiet. The quiet made her realize how much noise there was elsewhere in the world. Here, noise had meaning. You heard something and you had to pay attention. As she was chewing, there came another splashing sound, but this time from a different direction. The combination of fog and weak light made it hard to see. But it wasn't a walrus. That became clear when she realized the silhouette moving towards her was big, bigger than a walrus, and much bigger than any human. The music you're hearing in this episode was sampled from an original score by Robert Winia. And now for our final break. are listening to Storybound, 
with Matt Haig and Robert Winia. And now for our final chapter. Oh, fuck, whispered Nora into the cold. The fog cleared to reveal a huge white bear standing upright. It dropped down to all fours and continued moving toward her with surprising velocity and a heavy and terrifying grace. Nora did nothing. Her mind was jammed with panic. She was as still as the permafrost she stood on. Fuck. 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 Fucking fuck. 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 Eventually, a survival impulse kicked in and Nora raised the signal pistol and fired it. And the flare shot out like a tiny comet and disappeared into the water, the glow fading along with her hope. The creature was still coming towards her. She fell to her knees and started clanging the ladle against the saucepan and shouted at the top of her lungs, Bear! Bear! The banging wasn't working. The bear was close. She wondered if she could reach the rifle lying on the ice, just slightly too far away. She could see the bear's vast, pawed feet armed with claws pressing into the snow-dusted rock. Its head was low and its black eyes were looking directly at her. Library! Nora screamed. Mrs Elm, please send me back. This is the wrong life. It is really, really, really wrong. Take me back. I don't want adventure. Where's the library? I want the library. There was no hatred in the polar bear's stare. Nora was just food, meat, and that was a humbling kind of terror. Her heart pounded like a drummer, reaching the crescendo, and it became astoundingly clear to her finally in that moment. She didn't want to die. And that was the problem. In the face of death, life seemed more attractive. And as life seemed more attractive, how could she get back to the Midnight Library? Back to the Midnight Library. She had to be disappointed in her life, not just scared of it, in order to try again with another book. She glanced at the rifle. Yes, it was too far away. By the time she could grab it and work out how to fire it, it would already be too late. She doubted she'd be able to kill a polar bear anyway, so she banged the ladle. Nora closed her eyes, wishing for the library as she carried on making noise. When she opened them, the bear was slipping headfirst into the water. About a minute later, she heard the humans calling her name through the fog. If you want to hear where Nora Seed travels to next, well, you're going to have to purchase yourself a copy of Matt Haig's crazy good bestseller, The Midnight Library. The Midnight Library is available now at your beloved local bookseller. 
As is the case with every episode of the show, this original reading was adapted for Storybound. And it couldn't have come to fruition without the hard work of Robert Winia. The music sampled in this episode was an original score written by Robert specifically for this episode. You should look him up on Spotify. That's Robert Winia, W-Y-N-I-A. More of his music can also be found with his band Floater, F-L-O-A-T-E-R, Floater. Thank you to Matt Haig for recording with us. Thank you to Christina Fazolaro with Viking Penguin, Rebecca Marsh, Sarah Leonard, Andrea, and thank you to Epidemic Sound. This episode was mixed by Tim Carplus. Production assistance is provided by Jordan Aaron. Storybound is arranged, produced, and hosted by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate and Justin Alvarez of Lit Hub. Quite a season so far. Chuck Klosterman, Morgan Jerkins, Matt Haig. I wonder what's next. Make sure to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your mortal enemies, even because everyone deserves a good story. Is there music on an episode you've liked? Is there music you want to hear? Write us a message. Find us on Twitter or on Instagram at StoryBoundPod. You may also forward all and any complaints to me on Twitter at Jude Brewery. New episodes arrive every Tuesday into your podcast feed. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I'll see you next week. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.